welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, we are recording Contrarian's Corner for Passengers. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Bonus episode somewhere. It's got to be over 10 now. We've done at least 10 bonus episodes. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and all we know about this bonus episode is that it will 99% uh, come out before our 100th mm-hmm. episode. It's going to be basically a, a placeholder when, you know. Just when the chips are when down. When I'm sick or, you know, eating. <laughs> You know that the holidays at some point are gonna just catch up with us. That's right. We're gonna. This is our cabin in the woods. We're gonna sit on this until the time's right. It's our accidental husband. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully better than that. Yeah, cabin in the woods is a better. I've never seen an accidental husband. I, I didn't know until like the past few years that it actually ever got released, only on DVD, of course. Regardless, my name is Alex, joined as always by my friend Julio. Julio, we are joined by a third here today, and we once again welcome a guest to the Contrarians podcast. Yes, basically. A new guest. Yes. First timer. He is the reason, really, why this is happening, why this bonus episode is happening, because he is leaving Austin, and we couldn't let him leave Austin without recording with us. He's heading to Homestead, too. <laughs> Jordan, <laughs> welcome to the Contrarians podcast. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. What are your credentials, Jordan? Why are you here? Why did you make us watch ah, Passengers? What, what gives me the pleasure, the privilege of being the accidental husband? Um, <laughs> honestly, I don't know how I got here. Um, not a lot of people liked Passengers when it came out. I thought it wasn't terrible, and it became a running joke that I loved the movie. Um, I think it's better than most people think it is. I, that's a safe statement to make. For I think I, I mentioned it to you, Alex, not while we were recording, but that uh, uh, for a while I would always ask Jordan to rate movies on the passenger scale. <laughs> so he would go all the way up, you know, passengers where like the the second, the last S was like a 10 out of 10. <laughs> but you could go up to like pass, passe, passen. Fantastic. Uh, uh, a movie I knew nothing about going into and feel... I've been birthed anew with it. Uh, Christmas release from 2016. Uh, 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, as Jordan already made allusion to. He found himself in the minority. Uh, no longer. He's got company. Um, <laughs> but with it being 30%, that means that it did not set the world on fire critically. It did not. We have a, a handful of quotes, rotten quotes, from the Rotten Tomatoes website, uh, starting with Chris Klilmick from NPR. Passengers, a fairy tale set aboard a luxury space liner, has billion-dollar ideas and five-cent guts. Mm. See, criticizing Rude. lack of gore in the movie, maybe. 
I think he was really hoping that Michael Sheen would just go crazy and kill someone. <laughs> or maybe that when uh, Lauren Fishburne dies, he just really just melts into a puddle of <laughs> guts. Uh, Britton Peel from Dallas Morning News says, disappointing at best, problematic at worst. Oh, that didn't take long. The big, the big P word, problematic, not, what? not P. What's, okay. <laughs> oh, I can, I can see the problematic aspect of it. I didn't see it when I was watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you're looking for it, you can. Yeah. Um, Aaron Peterson from The Hollywood Outsider says, Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt hold up their end, but the script for Passengers ultimately fails us all. I was hoping it was the end, but Lawrence Fishburne tanks the entire thing. <laughs> Andy Garcia just... <laughs> I was on board it. until Andy Garcia showed up. <laughs> uh, and finally, Nguyen Lee from The Script Lab says, There is a rush to get to Imagine Dragons' new song and the accomp accompanying Nebula-laden credits. Is that the one you hated? I, I didn't hate it. I thought it definitely killed the mood when it got there. It, it came out of nowhere. It was like ending Shame with Someday by Sugar Ray. <laughs> <laughs> so I highly doubt if you're listening to this bonus episode, it's your first time listening to the Contrarians. But if it is, just give you the quick rundown. I mean, you could have done the a Google search and passengers and that's how that's you got true. here. That's true. Jennifer yeah. Lawrence could be listening to this right now. Uh, here on the Contrarians, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we like to say. Find a movie that is highly rated or fresh. Uh, make a case for it otherwise. And then other end of the spectrum, as we'll be doing here with Passengers. Uh, in the first half of the podcast, it is a rotten movie, so we'll be making a case for its positive merit. If you want to know how we really feel about it, stick around to the second half of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, you don't even Aptly know. titled Real Talk. At this point, you don't even know how Jordan really feels, because it might have changed. This, this He's blending real life and gimmicks so seamlessly <laughs> that I can't even tell. Well, you're in an interesting spot, because I hadn't seen the trailer for this the first time I saw it. And if you've seen the trailer, which most people did before it came out, you've seen the movie. Basically, yeah. So I'm interested to see what you have to say about it after not knowing anything, going in completely blind, because that's a very similar spot that I was going into it. Yeah, very blank going into this. None which, of the traditional research. Which helps it out. Yeah, well, there's also, the, uh, I think that there's a little bit of a difference watching this movie in 2016 and watching this movie in 2019. Because uh, movies have gotten somehow worse <laughs> since then. <laughs> It's the, the Elizabeth Town effect. Yes. Uh, no, but also, I mean, I wouldn't say that Chris Pratt is an even bigger star now, but maybe Jennifer Lawrence, we've reached like Jennifer Lawrence fatigue, and maybe she's poised for a rebound now that she's done with the X-Men and all that stuff. So I don't know, maybe outside uh, uh, circumstances could also affect how you watch this movie. What I'm saying is like, if you're sick of <laughs> seeing Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, you may not enjoy this movie. Which they are definitely two of the people that have like that. People just spout vitriol about them online. They, for whatever reason, it's the thing we're talking about with Britney Spears. Sometimes yeah. people just have a problem with famous people, but uh, it's like fucking Star Lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mystique. As we're prone to do here on the Contrarians from time to time, we will be starting off Contrarians Corner with the first paragraph from the Wikipedia plot summation of Passengers The Avalon, a sleeper ship transporting 5,000 colonists and 258 crew members in hibernation pods, is on a course to the planet Homestead 2, a journey lasting 120 years. 30 years into the journey, an asteroid collision damages the ship and causes its computer to awaken one passenger, mechanical engineer Jim Preston, 90 years too early. So, it's Castaway. Yeah. Well, well no. It's the Terminal. Act, act 1 
is Castaway. This movie weaves in and out of different genres as as it progresses, and I think that's part of what makes it so cool. That you know, it's it's like a buffet. From the word go here, when Chris Pratt is awoken, Jim. He is acting with a capital A, a capital C, a capital T, a capital I, and an N and G. I mean, he has no choice because it's, it's, if he doesn't bring it, it's not well, it's like anybody too. else. If you'd be in that fucking situation, you'd be panicked too. There's nothing. It's just machines and like iPads for all eternity. Martin Sheen as Wilson. Well, we get introduced to him pretty quickly. Martin Sheen, Wesley Snipes of 30 Rock fame, is the bartender who doesn't Jim immediately mistake him as like another person. Yeah. He doesn't very, notice that he... Very briefly. Yeah. Did you... Were you familiar with Martin Sheen, Jordan? I recognized the face. Um, at the time that I saw Passengers, I couldn't have named something else that he was in. He's really the only other... Well, I mean, for most of the movie. We eventually get a couple other characters, but he's really, like, just a third wheel. So, if you were not a big fan of Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, you really have nowhere to go. Yeah. It's... I, I don't know why you would walk into this unless you were like myself <laughs> just going into a cold. Uh, but a completely believable opening stretch here of a panicked Chris Pratt. Uh, he tries to get a message back to Earth. Yeah. And it says it's going to take like fucking 19 years to get there or something. Just AT&T. Like still 50 years total to get a response. It's running on Spectrum Internet. <laughs> so he has no idea what to make of this. He's running around panic, trying to get in touch with anybody in charge, anyone on the crew. Uh, eventually takes matters into his own hands. We see the um, the cabin. And it's behind this domed uh, metal wall that he... I guess spends six months with a sledgehammer trying to get into. Yeah, because we see the growth of his beard. This is really when it turns into Castaway. Before then, I, I was ah, no, maybe not. Maybe it's just like a space odyssey kind of thing. But no, once he starts letting go of himself and he just gets, you know, the long hair and the beard and everything, I was like, yeah, he's pulling a Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I mean, if somebody can do it, it would be Chris Pratt, who's so likable. The whole Is it the whole first act that we're just with Pratt? Would you say that's a fair assessment? Well, I broke in the movie into six acts. Wow. So Jesus. it's like you're getting wow. you're getting six, six movies for the price of one here. And they all have... Their own flavor, their own, you know, ups so and downs. So what's this opening part? So this is just, this is Castaway. Castaway okay. in space, featuring Chris Pratt with with uh, the best sheen of them all, Michael Sheen, in the background. <laughs> uh, and it's really, it's just that. It's it's, it's a, a Chris Pratt acting showcase. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how you guys f- felt. Well, you just saw it. But when I saw it back in 2016, I wasn't that familiar with Chris Pratt. I mean, I knew him from Parks and Rec, and I'd seen the first Guardians. And I think maybe that was it. Jurassic uh, World was out by that time. Jurassic World, too. And uh, there is there is a certain, like, meta me kind of tonight. joy. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love that movie, but he was a blip then. I didn't. Uh, but there is something cool seeing somebody who's on top of the world in the real world. You know, and you see him just kind of turn to shit over the span of, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes here. So it's like, oh, Chris Pratt, that's great. He looks great. He's so cocky. He's funny, whatever. And then by the end of this, this first part, he's a mess. He's losing his mind. Right. By the time that he's about to, you know, considering suicide, it was like, wow, this is dramatic, but also there's like a perverse kind of joy that I'm feeling because here's this superstar and, and he's, he's fallen to pieces. I can't, I really wish I had written it down, but we do get a montage also of, uh, in the Tom Hanks vein, big when Josh moves away for the first time, when Chris Pratt, I guess, realizes that he can just break into all the different suites and all the different restaurants and just run up a, an endless bill 
I, it's really bothering me now. I can't remember what song plays while he's doing it. This is when he's playing basketball too, and yeah, he's, uh, basketball good doing the DDR and going to all the different foreign restaurants and becoming a massive drunkard, as we see, is he's just uh, harassing robots to serve him more alcohol. You're a basketball player, Jordan. Was he? Uh, was he on top form? It was all right. I mean, he he <laughs> makes a shot. Well, I mean, he he becomes a pro by the end of it. Uh, the movie <laughs> wants to lead us to believe. Um, in that short montage, we see him just he's mastered everything on the ship. Yeah. Well, okay. So was it a shock for either of you guys when? Because this montage is like not even five minutes, but then it turns out that it's been a year. Yeah, that was uh, that was some interstellar shit, <laughs> right? I saw you, Alex. You cover your mouth and started like tearing up. <laughs> Couldn't believe all the time that that had passed. Uh, but yeah, I would call that Act One, and then Act Two happens when you know we get the, the second major player uh, into the story. So your acts are not evenly dispersed at all. Oh, no, no, no. It's we've basically, got like 15-minute acts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how else are you going to... How long is this movie? 90 minutes? Uh, no? It, it's a, it's about two hours. and It felt like 90 minutes. It's so good. It oh, just, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you could trim the sides on this yeah, one no, a little it's, bit. It's just short of two. Could have trimmed a beard a little quicker. Um, well, and then Act 2 becomes the terminal in which he meets... He the, meets... Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. It's also, I mean, you could say, I wrote it. I guess it. he doesn't meet. We are introduced to. Uh, yeah, this is, I put it in wrestling terms. This okay. is uh, Chris Pratt's heel turn. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Right? Because we've been with him. Mm -hmm. We felt bad for him. But he begins stalking this pretty blonde woman. Yeah. Questionable actions at best. And this is where I can see, you know, whoever quoted that, uh, the quote that said that this was problematic. Um, I don't agree. But I think that, you know, when you look at the big picture with some questionable details, motivations, well, yeah, it's like, here's this guy and he's basically stalking this girl that's defenseless. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, he's forgiven. And well, I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of the negative reviews here uh -huh. being negative because they're questioning the morality of Chris Pratt in in this story. But the movie questions it. Well, I mean, there's great and, movies that aren't going to that don't get bad reviews because the people aren't making morally sound decisions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think part of the fun of the movie is that you see him here become... What makes this one more sensitive? And dare I say they can't relate because they've never been stranded in space before? <laughs> I'm sure Tom Hanks gave this a 5 out of 5. <laughs> I've been there. It was just me and Wilson. I would have brought somebody. Captain Isidore Jones, probably. We are introduced to the top build star in this movie, Jennifer Lawrence, playing Aurora Lane, who is a journalist and a writer, uh, as we kind of already bled into Chris Pratt, Caesar. Uh, he, at this point, has figured out all the different trinkets and computer systems in the uh, ship, so he can see her profile. He learns basically everything about her. It's, it's kind of like pulling uh, the future eHarmony profile in the, in the Avalon. Well, she's he, a writer, so she probably has a Wikipedia. So he's done his his research. It yeah. seemed very Match. dot com when he was watching her. It was like she was almost being interviewed to. Like she was applying to be his <laughs> yeah. his passenger. Yeah, his passenger. this is my J date profile. And, and he finds her from slipping on a bottle, and she just happens to be the pod that he like looks up next to first. That's it's, right. it's love at first slip. He didn't go in the database and like. Look through all the potential, which I think that's Mrs. that's Pratt's. part of the movie exonerating him because he 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 did not do the really creepy thing, which would be 
All right, I'm gonna go looking for the hottest girl, which here. is <laughs> what anyone would have done. <laughs> right. Instead, he was just—he was already kind of, you know, he'd well, gone through a lot. We did skip the big part of this. Is uh, he almost kills himself? Right. Yeah. So what? It's like his, him running away from suicide when he slips and sees her. Yeah. So you could, you know, the religious overtones of this being, you know, his guardian angel type thing. Yeah. He's he's born again. Yes, uh, after going out into space and seeing that life is nothing and just total black <laughs> meaninglessness. But, but you know, going back a little bit to like Act One, how awesome is that to, to see? To see, well, yeah, to see, and I think because that is the scene in Castaway where he tries to hang himself, <laughs> but he can't. <laughs> there is something awesome to see superstars like Tom Hanks and Chris Pratt just being <laughs> minuscule, completely insignificant against nature, against yeah, just devoid. Yeah, it's just stars and Chris Pratt. It does. Doesn't matter that he has starred in Guardians of the Galaxy and in Jurassic World. How many, how much money his movies have made? He is nothing here space in outer care. space. Yeah, <laughs> just another stain on the road in a crew cut. <laughs> yep. So does his research on Aurora. He has, uh, I don't want to say existential crisis, but more of a just an internal debate. I think he's trying to like beat it out of his brain because we see some intense scenes of him working out and hitting the heavy bag. Uh, and then when all else fails, talk to Wilson. I was going to say, seeking solace in a android uh, who obviously can't understand the importance of human life, but still, I mean, he offers pretty sage advice. Uh, and it's in a British accent, too, so it's way easier to digest. <laughs> it's easier to buy it as wisdom. Uh, he tells him something, then the later comes back. Um, and this is actually even before uh, before he goes crazy. Uh which is like, don't get too distracted by what you don't have, and instead enjoy what you have, or something. Which, don't be, don't be so caught up about where you aren't. Like appreciate where you are. Yeah, or something like that. Because he I tells mean, him, he's like, think about where you want to be rather than right now, and you'll still probably want to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it's that was unscripted. It sound <laughs> it sound advice, but of course, Pratt takes it way too far <laughs> because nothing that we're saying justifies what he does next. It just kind of explains it. Which he goes into Aurora's pod, and I couldn't really tell what he did aside from just basically he cut like a, a live wire and just shoved it into the pod to make it short circuit and open up. He watches her kind of rise like Darth Vader in uh, Revenge of the Sith, but before she can belt out no, he just takes off running. And then, you know, like... Um, he cut it so close. Yeah, it's like he hadn't planned for what happens after she wakes up. <laughs> like, it's open, and the only thing that she she's waking up, and, like, the steam is clearing, and he's just like, feats don't fail me now. <laughs> he uh, takes off, and then he does the classic, you know, trying to pick up a girl at a bar that you've been staring at all night, <laughs> walking around and acting like, oh, hey, what's up? One of my, in my top five problems with this film, and there are more than five, but in my top five, he shaves and completely makes himself up before he wakes her up. It's much more believable. Like, if if I wake up in a pod on this ship in the Avalon, and it's me and one other person, and they look stunning, I'm like, yo. His jaws chiseled. 1,000% woke me up. He should have kept the beard, kept the hair. He should have found her naked and been like, whoa. That's what I would have done. She would have never found out. She wouldn't even believe Michael Sheen. Well, I mean, the problem That's is true. that that by that now... That would be great. Just sees how perfect he looks. Bitch, you woke me up. <laughs> uh, I think the problem is that, that Chris Pratt by now, he's not all there. 
So yeah. really, he's doing that thing where where he he keeps telling himself, "Well, I'm not really doing this." As, as he's shaving, he's like, yeah. "No, I'm not gonna do it. I'm just thinking about it." That's and then he fair. shaves himself, and then you know, it's castaways like gone insane. <laughs> I mean, and there's plenty of other isolation movies that uh, hunger. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> Chris Pratt's mirroring shit all over his he's cabin. He's not unlike Michael Fassbender in Hunger in this movie. Um, he catches Jennifer Lawrence up to date on the situation or up to speed, as it were. And at this point, it's revealed that he's been there for a year and three weeks at that point. So, yeah, he just couldn't take it. <laughs> she goes, poor baby. <laughs> <laughs> this, I, I, this shows you – this is a perfect way for the movie to show you how uh, – I guess ideal the future is where I think that uh, somebody, if if a girl woke up, if this situation was happening in 2019, the girl that wakes up, Jennifer Lawrence would instantly think, wow, you've been awake for a year and suddenly I am awake. You did it right. Yeah. But here in this future, she doesn't, it, she never even suspects him. I mean, again, we can't really put ourselves in their shoes because we've never been in this situation. Right. But I think that it kind of, very subtly telling space. you we're, we're <laughs> heading to a new planet. <laughs> we're not going to get to space. We're not going to get to space exploration until we start trusting each other. And it, saying that heading to the new planet, I think it's time I interject just with there. There is even this movie finds a way to work in the issues with uh, capitalism and uh, marketing and name branding. Oh, once once Jennifer Lawrence gets his gets her bearings, she she basically exposes this as <laughs> it's a very veiled rant on Disneyland. It feels like <laughs> um, she got the fast pass. <laughs> <laughs> she only has to wait for eighty eight years. Like, oh, you're a mechanic. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad had money, and I like to write. <laughs> Let me get us all the food. That's right. Chris Chris Pratt reveals that he's there. Like he got the discount. He went on Tuesday. He got like the the two for one deal in. <laughs> He went to Wing Tuesday at <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings. And, and got he his still dis- owes student loans for the rest of his life. <laughs> right. He's like, you're going to have to pay for this, right? <laughs> he, uh, yeah. I didn't buy him as a mechanic, though. He needed, like, a really strong Jersey accent for her to be equally <laughs> repulsed from him. Uh, she's documenting the whole voyage. She's been working on a book as well. But she's keeping, like, a, uh audio diary of everything that's going on. Leads to montage number two, in which romance is in the air. He kind of takes her around and shows her what there is to do. This is act three. Oh, now. The, Jesus. Okay. And now we're in the rom-com, rom-com thing. You know, it's like we're no longer freaked out about the horrible thing that Chris Pratt did. Mm-hmm. Somehow he's managed to get us over that hump. And now we're just rooting for these two to get together because they're so perfect for each other. <laughs> uh, very nice touch of comedy. He takes her to the virtual reality dance dance revolution and it shows the high scores it's like 50 of them and they're all gym gym it'd be funny if one of them was a bartender <laughs> <laughs> he brought michael sheen just a, for a the, the remake two. in two years will have that joke put into it <laughs> reboot excuse me uh date night comes about as this montage definitely leads us to believe that romance is in the air uh he fucking tinkers with one of the roombas <laughs> to give it like a a camera on its head and delivers a note that says date night, all that good stuff. Very, very slowly throughout the movie, you see him tinker with stuff successfully so that by the time that you get to the end and he's basically saving the ship on his own. It's believable. It, it's believable. <laughs> we built up to this. Oh, he planted a tree. <laughs> right. I remember when he did that. So this is this is viable. And by the end of the movie, somehow 
there's an entire ecosystem of wildlife. <laughs> it tracks. <laughs> Remember the one shot we saw of the plants, though? That's why. He just went in and tore up the food for the four months that everybody else had. Yeah. he And the plants, the first shot we see of it is, like, his first time seeing it. It's like, dude, you've been on this thing for the two years now, and you didn't know there was vegetation? Picks her up, go out. They go to the bar. They go out to... Uh, I think at this point it's established the ship, the Avalon, has a gourmet French, Mexican, and... Um, Is it Japanese? Japanese, Japanese restaurant, yeah. yeah. And they go to the French restaurant. They end up going. He wants to show her outside the ship. Where he almost killed himself. I've never been to space. He left that part out. But <laughs> if I did go, I would do exactly what they do here, which is nude spacewalking. They both, at least she does, gets down to her skivvies and gets in the spacesuit. Pushing the, I don't understand why. I mean, clearly, she didn't need to take her dress off. Because the whole point is you just put the... the it's the this, titillation of it all. Right. You get a little bit of side boob. Yeah. And it's just... It's really the movie signaling you can relax for a little while. And that's where been... the reaction gif of Chris Pratt going, <gasps> came from, <laughs> is this shot right here. Yeah. I, I think that we've been stressed out for a solid 30 minutes, at least, with first with Pratt being by himself and slowly losing his mind. And then with Pratt doing something really terrible and us just wondering if... We're ever going to be able to love him again. So now the movie's saying, just relax, have fun. We're going to give you a little bit of action. It really, it, it, it's like rom-com slash softcore because we get some, some heated uh, sex scenes pretty quickly. We do get an awesome sequence of when they actually go outside the ship. Uh, they have their tethers, but he asks, do you trust me? And they turn off the, the, uh, magnetism on their boots so they can kind of float around together and. He goes it, full Aladdin. It, Very Aladdin, yeah. <laughs> Do you trust me? It brings them closer together. They get inside, take their helmets off, start doing some serious making out. I have in my notes, space fucking. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I've never been to space. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's what they should have done, the airtight seal with the little circular window. Do the Titanic shot of Chris <laughs> Pratt's hand going up against it. <laughs> They fall in love. He, as I mentioned, finds the vegetation, brings her some roses for her birthday. Uh, They go out for a drink at the bar. Do we ever find out what the bar is actually called? The Sheen. The Sheen. (laughs) You didn't see the neon sign? The Broken Spoke. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, The one thing that annoyed me here, you know, because they basically start dating. They become a couple. And, uh, I mean, it annoyed me. no one else to go out with. (laughs) What else are you going to do? Turns out Jennifer Lawrence was going, she just wanted a one night stand and Chris (laughs) Pratt got really into it. No. uh, Can't avoid him. I really like the situation. Jennifer Lawrence comes up to him one day. um, Hey, do you ever think maybe we could wake up some more people? (laughs) (laughs) I saw this guy over by my pod. I'm thinking about it. What do you think? You wake one up. I wake one up. (laughs) It's, It's all fair. Uh, no, the grow your beard out first, so it's believable. <laughs> <laughs> Let me wipe the makeup off. Uh, they, uh, you know, they're 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 living happily, and at some point, she's a writer. She's supposed to be working on her book, and uh, she's coming from upstairs. And Chris Pratt is working on his. He's always doing something mechanical, and he's like, "How how goes the writing?" And she's like, ah, "I wrote a few pages." It's like you have nothing else to do. <laughs> you you do nothing but just. Hang out with Chris Pratt. The least you could be at least productive and, and get that book done already. Just as somebody who has trouble finding the time to write, I I had a moment of just resentment towards Jennifer Lawrence that had nothing to do with the movie and just with just life in general. So Wesley Snipes, uh, Arthur, the bartender, 
Took me a second to get his name back there. They go out for a drink on a birthday. He pours them bottles of champagne. Uh, Jim, Chris Pratt, having a real Andy Dwyer moment here of, I'm just going to leave her alone with this uh, non-human entity that knows all my dark secrets. And so naturally, when he's gone, he blows the lid off the entire thing. Of he With a smile on his face. Yeah, I couldn't wait to wake you up and meet you. Mm-hmm. And so, did you see this coming? Oh, yeah. Did you see this coming, Jordan? I mean, I, I must have. I don't remember, but there's, I mean, for sure, I definitely did. I mean, I think that from the moment that he tells earlier in the movie, he tells Michael Sheen, hey, don't tell her this. You know that because he's an, a, an android, he's going to tell her at some point. There's going to be like some sort of loophole in his programming that's going to make him blow the, the whole thing. And he does. And this is where we go into Act 4, Revolutionary Road. <laughs> mm-hmm. He comes out of the bathroom, sees Jennifer Lawrence there, all bent out of shape, and she can't even see straight. She's so upset. Has a complete meltdown. Uh, I would say this is her Oscar scene, but then just a few moments later, there's a the Oscar scene that takes the cake of her just beating the absolute shit out of Chris Pratt in bed. <laughs> she picks up like a crowbar, and she's about to do him in for good when, you know, cooler heads prevail, and, you know, the, the gravity, no pun intended, of what she's doing comes over her. Uh Acting chops on Pratt's side too because he sells it that he was just gonna let it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't even raise a hand to protect himself. He's just he opens his arms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he says here he wel- welcomes the sweet embrace. <laughs> uh, Jim's trying to win her back. I can't tell if he's trying to win her back or just kind of explain to her why he did it. He somehow figures out how to commandeer the PA over the entire spacecraft and is telling his whole story while she's like running through the different condos or whatever is on that ship and then just eventually just start screaming i don't care see a lesser movie a movie that hadn't handled these characters so well up till now would make you think man she's just being emotional she needs to get over (laughs) it because it's just the two of them and they have 88 years to go but because she's been so in control up till then and because the way that she found out is probably the worst possible way she could have found out yeah it's it's completely believable that she would just be on edge this android with no emotion just telling her this with a smile on his face uh jim continues to work on the ship to kind of bide his time and or pass his time i should say as she has no interest in talking to him uh slowly but surely that we notice all these things are going to hell on the ship uh the roombas aren't working correctly the breakfast dispensaries are shooting cereal out of it lights are flickering more and more obviously there's trouble afoot uh in the meantime they've uh they've split custody of michael sheen and that's uh, right they have like <laughs> scheduled days like a divorce couple yeah um uh, a little bit of real talk here in Contrarian's Corner. I was watching this. I'm like, Michael Sheen must have had a blast shooting this movie because he's on the, the whole effect is that he doesn't have legs. He just rolls. But as an actor, they must have had him in the platform and just like yeah. moving him back and forth and, you know, spinning and whatever. It's just I've never seen him in a role that's this playful. Mm-hmm. So uh, every time that he was even when he was in the background, just going from like zipping from one end of the bar to the other, it was just very joyous. And he probably only filmed for one day. Showed up one day, <laughs> zipped around, got paid. It's yeah. like the, the De Niro Pacino scene in Heat. They're not really in the same space. <laughs> it's like Michael Sheen is talking to no one. He just did all his lines. <laughs> and it was all one setup, and then went home. It's not really explained how, but we already made allusion to it. Jim plants a tree in the middle of the ship. It's not explained at all. When there's a will, there's a way. 
like the there's a light hitting it. I'm not really sure if it's simulated sunlight or what it is, but it's a pretty big gesture to the point where I think Jennifer Lawrence kind of starts to get a twinge of forgiveness about her. You trade a tree for the rest of your life. It's a fair trade. Yeah. I mean, well, you don't have You're a choice. you be here for 88 years, but at least you got a tree now, She's all right? Like, well, this tree is nice. <laughs> well, I had a tree back on Earth, but it wasn't this nice. I mean, I'm stuck here for 88 years. There wasn't a tree there before, and now there is a tree. So it is an improvement. <laughs> Finally, the voice of God bellows over the ship as the... Are they in the same area? Or the, no, they're in two separate areas because they, right, run, they yeah, run to converge. They and, run to the tree. That's yeah. why the tree was put there. <laughs> That's the real reason. A familiar voice comes over the PA and says, who the hell planted a tree on my ship? So they run to converge at the uh, the tree of the ship. And lo and behold, it is Lawrence Fishburne. So, Which is an odd line because we later find out that it's... Not his ship. He's not even a part of the crew. Right. He's the main deck. He's 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 one of those guys. He's just an officer. Yeah. Gus. I uh, I used to work with a manager uh, that would uh, refer to to our store as his store, but he was not the the GM. He was just like a manager. But you know, whenever he talked to to other people, he'd be like, "Yeah, my store." And oh yeah, you're bringing this to my store. And I would always think, well, "It's not your store." That's Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> That's Lawrence Fishburne here. He's like, "This is my ship." No, no, it's not. He doesn't even have clearance to. He's not with all the all the important people. He can override a few things, but not everything. Uh, he quickly becomes aware of the situation, and we all collectively like looked at each other and laughed because he says three pod failures. It's like ah, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> only two. Don't uh, worry, you'll find out soon enough. So now we're we're swiftly going into the final act, which is just full on sci fi adventure. This is Star Trek, but done better. He goes about to take the basically the diagnostic on the three pod failures. He realizes that Star-Lord fucked with the hardware, and he turns to him. He's like, you did this, didn't you? <laughs> and he kind of eyes him up and down with just a shameful look before he admits that he did do it. Uh, he even comments on the fact that there was no way that he would be so lucky that the other pot failure would be Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> which I appreciated, because it's true. You know, right. Yeah. And but see, he made that connection because men have dirty minds and they think alike. Jennifer Lawrence never thought like, huh, what were the odds <laughs> that the two hottest people on the ship would wake up at the same time? He asked how long it had been and he said, you know, a uh, year and three weeks. And he's like, he like thinks about it contemplatively and then kind of nods his head like understandingly, but then just goes, still, damn. <laughs> damn. <laughs> no, no real forgiveness from, uh, from... I was going to say J-Lo. No, this is Lawfish. J-Law. <laughs> Lawfish. And uh, she wants him to do something of, like, legal prosecution. <laughs> He's like, I fucking... I was murdered. <laughs> yeah, she said, yeah, it's murder. And he's like, I'm a deck commander or a deck officer. I don't know what you want me to do. I'll write him up, ma'am. He he's like, they, they don't even give me a whistle. I don't know what you want me to do. When I said it was my ship, <laughs> it was a figure of speech. Let's go back a few paces. I think we got ahead of ourselves. So all that's ironed out now. And the three are going about their business. The pod failure with... Um, Morpheus was much different in that it's affected his health very adversely. Right. Chris Pratt came out just a little crazy, but uh, Lawrence Fishburne came out with TBC. Yeah, it's like aging him 
at an accelerated rate and he it's clear from the get-go just he's weak and can barely stand coughing up blood yeah i appreciate that the movie just went because we're closing in on the third act so they they had no time to explore this fifth act well, the, the third act of a traditional structure. Oh, okay. You know, we're, we're heading to the climax. Uh, so as we head to the climax, the movie doesn't have, doesn't have time to go into like a complete sidetrack of just an exploration of his health. So they go to the true and tried shortcut of him coughing blood. Mm-hmm. And then, as you all know, once you cough blood in a movie, that's it. You're done. You're yeah, not getting better. There's no getting out of it. So before we meet uh, the demise of Morpheus... We get this fucking outstanding zero gravity scene where one of the things that happens on the ship is for a temporary moment, the gravity shield, or I can't remember exactly the terminology, but what happens is the gravity goes out on the ship. So Chris Pratt's floating through the air while he's asleep. Morpheus, I guess he had a lead blanket or something because he's still just fine, but his arms are like, <laughs> just his arms, like SpongeBobbing up in the air and. Jennifer Lawrence, though, went for a swim in the big pool on, on deck, the the higher class part of the ship. It starts, like, the water starts shifting upside down and doing these huge bubbles. It, you know, the whole budget for this movie had to go to that because that was absolutely outstanding. It's it's Inception, clo- but next level. Yeah, it's the closing of Titanic when the ship starts going up. Yeah, she, uh, it's, it's basically Jennifer Lawrence versus water and, uh, Chris Pratt, he's just floating. Can you imagine? I mean, if she reversed- almost drowns, but he gets it worse though because he's like suspended like fifteen feet in the air and then wakes up and, and then like an extra fifteen feet from that platform that he was sleeping on. <laughs> yeah, right. He should have died. <laughs> well, he has like a bloody nose or something, right? Because yeah. when he gets up, he shows he's, him. He's, he's just like touching his nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and luckily, can you imagine if it swapped places and it was Lawrence Fishburne taking the fall that uh, Chris Pratt? takes in this when the gravity is restored and like nothing happens to chris pratt he's just <laughs> the next scene is just them standing over lawrence fishburne's dead body like <laughs> he's broken should we take the bracelet <laughs> the leg folded behind do him. you remember his code yeah. <laughs> uh gus old gus lawrence fishburne his times at uh at end he goes to there's like a medical diagnostic table that says you know all this shit's wrong with you uh, there's no point in medication. Everything's in motion that it's going to be. So, you know, your hour's at hand. So he puts his captain's uniform on, uh, or he, uh, presumably steals the captain's <laughs> uniform and puts it on. <laughs> it's his ship again. <laughs> and he goes by the observation deck and just kind of watches as space flies by. And he dies, provides his bracelet to them for clearance. And, and he does the, the, I don't know if you guys have seen it, the Karate Kid 2. I mean, maybe when I was really young. I've seen it, but I have no idea what you're about so, to say. So halfway through the movie, man, this is kind of the, the context, but you need to appreciate it because halfway through the movie, uh, they go to Japan in that one. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Miyagi, he has like an old friend, but now they're, they're nemesis, they're enemies. It's like an old like family feud and they both have the same sensei, I think. And the sensei is sick. And as he's dying, he, he asks for both of them to come to his, bedside and the last thing he does as he's dying is he grabs their hands and puts their hands together uh, okay and everybody goes like oh it's all fixed but then of course after the guy dies the the other guy not mr miyagi gets up and he's like all right you have three days and after that we're we're fighting <laughs> so something similar fishburn here grabs her hands and he goes you guys need to make up and take care of each other <laughs> his dying wish and like you said the the, the wise words of uh, an old wise black man to you want to talk about tried and true trope of movies? That, that's one right there. 
ship's falling apart, going to shit. So the duo gets on the case. They get farther into the, like the core of the ship and find a series of meteor holes that perforated many different layers of the ship to the point where it looks. So y'all were trying to have to help me out here. It looks like in the core, there's a fire buildup where there shouldn't be. And it needs to basically be vented out of the ship. There's, there's fire. Some of it Some was kind of going over my head at this fire. point. Well, but it's like when you watch a good Star Trek episode, the important stuff is the character stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the logistics of what's really happening, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a doctor, Jim. I'm not a Star Trek officer. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. I'm not an engineer. Uh, but yeah, I think that, you, I mean, the meteor has created some problems and they need to restore power Uh what, what I really appreciated were the character moments, such as the fact that in the middle of this emergency, uh, they run past the bar and Michael Sheen is just like, he's gone insane. He's bashing his head against yeah. the counter and he's destroying bottles and they take the time to go and unplug him <laughs> so he doesn't hurt himself anymore. Yeah. Whatever the case, this buildup of exhaust or fire or whatever the fuck's going on in the core is causing everything else to start short-circuiting. So this uh, hazard needs to be vented before they can do anything. Jim prepares to sacrifice himself. He jumps into the, the ventilation tube because that's part of it too. All of the... The doors it, jam. Yeah, and shut. And the only way to do it is to have someone there to manually override it. So as one does, he cuts a door off of like a utility shelf and holds it like a, a shield, like you would in a red faction or a game of that era, and just says, let her rip. And Jennifer Lawrence, though, I guess this would truthfully be her Oscar scene, where she refuses to say goodbye to him. Yeah, well, like... And as both of y'all pointed out to me, this was the selling line in the trailer. Yeah. You die, I die. Mm-hmm. It's But even before then, also, like Jordan pointed out as we were watching it, it was there's that moment where he's about to leave, and she's like, come back to me. And he's like... You can see in Pratt's eyes, it's like, I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm out of doghouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and her face also, as he's walking away, she's thinking, ah, maybe I, I should have phrased that differently. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to me so that we can resume normal operations. I don't know how to do mechanical stuff. <laughs> right. I didn't say, Come back to me so we can have sex again. <laughs> He is launched into space through the ventilation tube as he holds on as long as he can, but this overwhelming wall of fire pushes him out with such force that it snaps his tether. So he is just in an endless spiral at this point, which made me dizzy just watching it. It was It's a gravity moment. Yes. Oh, definitely. And he just begins to kind of fade off further into the great beyond. Uh, he explains the situation to Aurora. She runs up to the observation, not the observation deck, but the... Uh, Tether deck, the one where they had their first date, where she can go out. Uh, she goes and grabs him, pulls him back in, takes him down to the, uh, I have here written, gives him the old Prometheus treatment. Because it's this basic gurney, a, a domed-in gurney, uh, like in the fifth element when they bring Lilu back. Well, it's like like earlier in this movie, only it, it was not able to bring Lawrence Fishburne back. It's yeah. the same machine that said, Lawrence Fishburne, it's too late for you. Yeah. Yeah. You're far past gone. Uh, she uses Lawrence Fishburne's override to get into it and run. I can't even tell how many procedures on Chris Pratt to try to bring him back to life. It doesn't matter, though, because what brings him back to life in the end, it's the power love. of love. Yeah. <laughs> like in the fifth element, <laughs> it's it's really what happens to Chris Pratt in the last 10 minutes of the movie is stuff that nobody, no matter how talented, would survive unless you had something to live for. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important that Jennifer Lawrence tells him, come back to me. 
that's really, I think, the power of love and of knowing that Jennifer Lawrence has forgiven him is really what keeps him uh, alive until, you know, she, she lets the machine do the magic. The magic it does brings him back to life. All is good. They are happy to be with each other once again. Uh, following him, his recuperation, he works on this medical table and through it finds that he can just manually induce hibernation and shares this with Jennifer Lawrence of, you know, only one of us can go and it's going to be you because I took your life away. So the movie has given him a chance to redeem himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's a big moment. I think that that's probably, uh, it's probably even more impressive now that the crisis has been averted. There's no fireworks anywhere. And now it's just these two humans facing each other with the biggest decision of their lives. And the movie wisely doesn't show us what she decides. Like, you know, she, we don't see her answer. We do see her uh, nursing uh, Arthur back to health, though, and <laughs> using makeup on his android head to make him look normal once again. Yeah, but that was before he tells her. Uh, well, regardless, it, there's a lot going on here in the closing stretch. He offers it, and but based on the end of the movie, she doesn't take it. The last shot we up. see of them together is them swimming, and they. She says, "What a life." Well, he proposes to her. Oh God, I forgot. The about next that. scene. The next scene after he tells her about the hibernation thing is him talking to Arthur alone at the bar. Right, and, and then she walks up in the flashy dress. Now, did you? Well, you knew. I don't know if you remember how you felt, Jordan, when you first watched it. But, but did you think that she had taken him up on it, and that was just him and Arthur by him, by themselves? Um. I don't remember what I thought the first time. I probably thought that it was going to end with just Chris Pratt being alone. She went back to sleep, and then she probably woke up on Homestead 2 with everyone else to tell the tale. Um, <laughs> goes, walks to the bar, finds him with, like, a gunshot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I changed my mind. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Arthur is still, like, cleaning the, <laughs> the bar, <laughs> cleaning the blood. <laughs> The big in a consistent circle. <laughs> I've seen things no man should see. I did not know you would be joining us. <laughs> My apologies. This blood will not come off. I've been trying for the last 80 years. We flash forward 88 goddamn years and we arrive at Homestead 2. We're apparently four months out of reaching it because they awake the uh, crew. And my last note is Andy Garcia <laughs> as it's revealed he's the captain of the ship. And correct me if I'm wrong, he has no voiceovers or anything the entire movie. Unless he's doing the voice of the computer, but that doesn't make any sense. And that doesn't sound like Andy Garcia does. Right, but okay, he's an actor, Alex. <laughs> I'm a fucking actor. The only thing I can think of is one of the voiceovers at the very beginning where it's like, this is your captain speaking, something, one of the automated voices that happened mm. when Chris right. first wakes up. But if you're a producer... And you have to, like, do the lines for a couple... You don't get Andy Garcia. I mean, that's kind of... He had to have known someone. Right. He did it for free. There's there's a, a walk-on that's just... He was he, shooting Ocean's They come 14. out of the, the crew hibernation deck to find that the entire interior is now overrun with vegetation and wildlife. So... They may be gone, but Jim and Aurora made the most of their time there. Yeah. And I like, I mean, I don't understand the logistics economically, like financially, of having Andy Garcia, like a big name actor there. But I do appreciate what it does to the world building. I think because... he just wanted to show everyone his beard. <laughs> <laughs> you thought Pratt's was good? <laughs> Let me tell you. No, I think that when you when you see 
a recognizable actor like Andy Garcia showing up for five seconds as the captain, you instantly get this sense that, wow, there's a world beyond the adventures of Chris Pratt. There's and, much more to this. Right. It's yeah. like, there's going to be a future after this movie ends, after the, the end credits roll. Andy Garcia is off to lead these people to colonize the planet and everything. I could have used one. Oh, when he saw the interior of the ship and what it had become. <laughs> but then we fade to... Uh, Kevin, <laughs> what did you do to my ship? <laughs> I was going to say fade to, but then fucking smash cut to Imagine Dragons and the uh, Windows desktop screensaver. <laughs> credits that they roll the movie will not stop surprising you (laughs) even when you think that andy garcia was the last of it then you get this really weird end credit song and andy garcia doesn't even get he gets like a normal credit yeah it's not even and or with it's just with thanks to andy garcia (laughs) in loving memory of (laughs) and and we didn't see the end credit where we didn't watch long enough where someone came up and uh, captain norris we're not gonna have enough food for (laughs) for all these people for the next four months That's the real sequel. Who ate all my cornflakes? <laughs> or someone goes to the bar to order a drink and just all of the alcohol is gone. <laughs> and Arthur just keeps reaching to the shelf and there's nothing there. The next four months for the people who paid good money to do this, <laughs> there's no luxury. Right, because Pratt was going, I mean, he was he was on the discount ride, but and he who, was going with all the, you know, he, he, he hacked into all the good stuff. And so. whoever had the elite suite is going to find a dead Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. <laughs> In one of them. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Who died first? How did who had to dispose of of the other one's body? Because I, I would have trust Jennifer Lawrence to eventually just lost it and launched him out of the. Uh... Well, yeah, because I think Chris Pratt has proven that he's yeah. not mentally sound. He can't handle being alone. So if Jennifer Lawrence goes first, he'll probably wake somebody else up. Yeah, <laughs> just it's not worth it. I've done it before. But yeah, that was Contrarian's Corner. For Passengers. A movie that you've never seen. This is my second time watching. And Jordan's seen it probably like 10 times. It's my second time watching. <laughs> there is no way. I this promise. Is- I probably told you. I hadn't seen it since theaters. And I knew that we were doing this at some point, And I <laughs> promised myself that I wasn't going to watch it until we did this. Stay you just fresh. let your love for it grow without it having just any... just festered. <laughs> it festered and turned into... Something sour. Had to wait for the to get in the ventilation chamber and just open the door and let it all out. Man. All right, so let's go to real talk. Let's do. This is the perfect birthday drink. Thank you. I remember this day a year ago. Jim was so looking forward to meeting you. What? How could he be looking forward to it? Oh, he spent months deciding whether to wake you up. He couldn't stop talking about you. Jim woke me up. Oh, yes. He said it was the hardest decision of his life. But I see it worked out just fine. I tried not to. 
All right. We're recording for Real Talk. Passengers. Uh, all right. Real Talk for Passengers. What a perfectly fine movie. <laughs> You're a romantic, Alex. So I I, it, I had it an inkling that... With it. It, it does. It does. It, it has everything to do with it. It's a total love story. I guess. It, if you turn your brain off... it. If you try to take any part of this movie remotely serious, then you're going to just be like, uh. No, but I think that that first part requires you to take it seriously. It wants you to take it seriously. The the first, like, the, the castaway portion. I guess. I guess that's my point with Prometheus is, like, if you try to take it too seriously, then it kind of falls apart. I think this is a better example of that. Of Yeah, if you try to take it remotely serious, especially after the opening sequence of Castaway then you're just setting yourself up for failure. But before we jump too deep into that, like I said, uh, being this is a bonus episode and also that I went into this completely cold with literally no knowledge of this movie, uh, I didn't do my traditional research, but I can tell you it was released on December 21st, 2016, had a budget of approximately $150 million for a box office return of a little over $300 million. Man, I guess that makes sense with who's involved that it made that much money. Uh, uh, yeah, Jordan was mulling over it after we watched the movie, and it's it's Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence at the height of their popularity, and it's a Christmas release. Both of them made double-digit millions. Uh, that is the one piece of research that I did do, uh, because I thought it was fascinating. Not that it shouldn't be, but I just thought it was fascinating that Jennifer Lawrence got top billing. Uh, she made $20 million, Chris Pratt made 12 so... I think... Wow. Even after Guardians and Jurassic World, he... She was fucking... Not to say that she's any less hot fire currently, but <laughs> she was definitely a uh, top-of-the-world type situation there. I guess she had an Oscar nom on top of everything. She had an Oscar win. Oh. Wait. Silver Linings? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then a nomination. <laughs> she can do everything. <laughs> Uh, directed by Morton Tildum, who the only other thing he had done that I was vaguely familiar with was The Imitation Game. He has not done a movie since Passengers. Written by John Spietz. Did you see that John Spietz has a, a writing credit on Prometheus? Hell yeah, he does. <laughs> Which is weird, because I always hear, when I hear Prometheus, uh, whether people praise it or hate it, they talk about Damon Lindelof as a writer. Yeah, and I always go to bat for Lindelof, and I, because I think he's great. And this entire time, this guy also has credit for it. I think, well, I think Lindelof took over after he, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Spietz. Spietz. Uh, yeah. After he was done with the project, they brought Lindelof on. But, I mean, that's cool. He got the credit. Here, 20... he has his sole credit here in Passengers. Yeah, and in 2016, he also was the writer on Doctor Strange, which I have not seen. But Passengers... So let's start with what what is the actual story, Jordan? You just you did you just say like I kind of liked it and they everyone just took the ball and ran with it type of thing? Well, it, it didn't even turn into that wasn't the initial conversation. It was me saying I liked it. I heard how much everyone else was hating on it, and I kind of just assumed the position of having to defend this movie that I was just okay with. Okay, he, he was a contrarian. He didn't even know <laughs> it, but he he was starting down the path. What what are the things you remember liking about it the first time? Um, well, again, I hadn't seen the trailer, so I, it, it was fresh. I thought, I, I didn't, I mean, you see the entire movie in the trailer, okay. so I, the, all the beats I hadn't seen. 
and they they had some weight by the first time I seen them. Um, there's not much more. T- I I had a good time, and that was my that was my <laughs> thing. I was like, my first line of defense was, "Well, you've never been in love," and I think that actually does hold quite a bit of weight when you factor in how much you enjoy this movie. Is it? Well, you really have to hang a lot of uh, of. You would you say questionable decisions into the whole well, but they're in love, you know. I I my main issue with the with the movie, I think, or one of my main issues, and I enjoy it. I think it was a good time. I I remember having a good time the first time I saw it and just being let down by the ending. And it was sort of similar here, except that because I already knew how it ended, there was no letdown. Yeah, it was yeah. just more a confirmation mm-hmm. of oh yeah, they they didn't have the balls to go all the way. Because to me, the way that the story is presented. What Chris Pratt does is pretty much irredeemable. I mean, you can understand, and the movie does a pretty good job of showing you, uh, what's going on to where you understand why he did what he did. But if I was Jennifer Lawrence, I would never forgive him. Right. And, and yes, if you're in love, you can forgive that. Yeah. And to be but, fair, the movie doesn't really ever say it was okay. It's just her character finds it in her heart to forgive. Right. Him. Uh, but, but I think that as a viewer, because I'm not in love with Chris Pratt, uh, Yes, I can understand that that she could forgive him, but really the most satisfying conclusion for me would be that he voluntarily dies. Doing, and the movie puts him in that position. They just yeah. they just decide to make him survive instead of killing him. When that fire comes out, he should just be melted, <laughs> and that's it. And Jennifer yeah. Lawrence watches him die, and and then that's it. It's just, um, but they go for the happy ending, and it's 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 a cool sequence. Like we were talking about that, Jordan. As he was happening, <laughs> when you said, yeah. if you take this out of the movie, this is on its own. It's a pretty exciting. Her dragging him up to the. Right, to the, the table, the like going day. out and rescuing him and everything. And, but, but in Even the context so you of the movie. still do the, she goes back into hibernation and he just lives the rest of his life. Yeah, oh. but even then, well, by then it's like we've come so far. That'll be kind of a dick move. <laughs> they swerved us. God damn it. <laughs> well, on Jennifer Lawrence's part, they'll be like, I mean, you just wasted my time. Yeah, <laughs> all this drama. Now you're gonna go back, uh, Jordan. The things you liked about it, did they hold up for the second viewing? This is such a nothing movie. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it's exactly that's like I. Someone asked me how it was. I referred it. It's a popcorn. It's movie. a nothing movie. The the few things that are enjoyable about it hold up because they're enjoyable for no reason. It's so whatever. My only thing with it is the thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes for a whatever movie is low when you look at what some other things have. Like, this is a movie... I mean, when you factor in how Rotten Tomatoes percents things... It, yeah. It's a broken system. It's but a that's, completely broken system. That's a good segue, because I, I didn't get to the quotes. And I was uh, going to say, he's just doing, like, an infomercial for our podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a handful of fresh quotes, just kind of to see what people that also liked it had to say. Uh, Nathalia Ariani from the San Diego Entertainer says, Passengers offers a sci-fi romance with a thought-provoking twist. Uh, Rachel, wrong, wrong reason to like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if there's too much thought provoking in this. I think there's it provokes thoughts in the sense that this could have been a better movie. I and I think if they don't mention it here, I I'll give you my take on how to make passengers better. Yeah. Besides killing Chris Pratt, um, Rachel Wagner from RachelReviewsNet.net says Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence have terrific chemistry. Now you were not too sold on Jennifer Lawrence at the beginning of the movie, Alex. It's, yeah, it seemed like. She really came into her own by the end of it, but her first, like, ten minutes, if that, but it was, I was like, what the fuck is she doing? Because she was saying her lines, like, um, 
is bad. Like an SNL skit where you're supposed to be in a bad movie or something like that. <laughs> but you know what I do kind of appreciate? And this has to do with the chemistry that they do or don't have. And I don't think they work overwhelmingly well together in this movie. But I think that kind of works in the movie's favor. Because how great of chemistry are two rant, like complete right. strangers going to have? Right. It, that's what it doesn't, though. Because in a way, they never say it out loud. But the movie presents to you that they're soulmates basically because it's it, what are the odds really not just that you will get along but it also doesn't it doesn't not say that they're only falling for each other because they're the only two people on the planet so and they happen she says to in her book really... she says in her book when she's doing the voice speech writing um she says falling for someone that i would never fall for under any other circumstance. That's right. But that's, but I think, was that just because, well, under normal circumstances, they wouldn't spend that much time together? For sure. But, uh, I mean, we don't know what, <laughs> what she was thinking. <laughs> we don't know what Jennifer Lawrence is into. <laughs> um, Deidre Malumbi from entertainment.ie says, there are enough twists and turns from the get-go to keep audiences intrigued and to provide an enjoyable, entertaining movie outing. And finally, Jim Lane from Sacramento News and Review. Uh, he says, a movie with a head, a heart, and two of the most beautiful faces in movies. I mean, yeah, they're pretty people. Um, they're, how, how is this movie? How does the movie work with just regular looking people? That's that's the fucking point. Like I said, if you try to take any part of this movie remotely, seriously, Jennifer Lawrence is in full makeup the entire movie. Like, you well, know. there's a boy in the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, Chris Pratt shaves. Like, there's so many parts where we're just like, how do they how do they know how to do this? Like, how how does he know how to fix this? Like, um, he's a mechanic. Yeah, Come on, Alex. exactly. It's. It's the Armageddon principle. If it works on Earth, it'll work up here in this spaceship. <laughs> that is something, though, I want to compliment the movie on. It, do it doesn't look gravity good, but as far as, like, a space movie goes, it looks pretty great. It looks pretty good. Uh, like, it's, um, we jested a lot about them running the, or just using the same sound stages as all these different movies, because a lot of it looks very sim similar and familiar, but, like, the pool sequence is awesome. Like, that looks really cool. And there's that moment, that, that, that full-on Inception moment when uh, they're running. The, the ship's already started to fall yeah. apart, and they're running, and then gravity goes off for, like, two seconds, and they fly up in the air, and then they slam back down. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's decaying body. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty good... Shot off <laughs> into the atmosphere. Well, I was just thinking, like, when he's... As he... It, he spends every minute he spends on screen. He just gets looks worse He's and worse. Fucking uh, Gina Davis and Beetlejuice just like <laughs> falling apart. It's funny the scene where we find out that he's dying. He walks out of that room, and then the next shot of him looks like he's aged twenty <laughs> <Yeah>. years. <laughs> he couldn't take the news. Um, to me, uh, the and I didn't see that coming. So seeing Morpheus was a welcome surprise. Yeah, I like, hey, I, that was. Fishburne. That was a great moment just seeing you. Did you remember that he Absolutely. was there? Yeah. I didn't remember it was him. I remember that somebody else wakes up to explain to them the rest of you know what's going on. Oh wow, so you got it twice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I I didn't remember it was Lawrence it's the Fishburne. Matt Damon reveal in Interstellar. Yeah. <laughs> Uncredited at the, in the posters. But yeah, to me, I think that where the movie really missed a chance. It, of, of course, this is just the movie they decided to make. And and I think that as a movie they decided to make, that's that's fine. But I would prefer a movie that really doubled down on Chris Pratt being uh, just more unstable. And I don't, I don't need him to be super crazy or anything, but he kind of becomes 
your standard romantic lead after after he does after he wakes her up and i i would like to see him more tortured yeah and more a darker take on his character so that when you get to the part of the story where things go really really bad you don't even know if you can trust him to do the right thing because you know he's here he's too much of of, of your average hero so I don't think that you ever doubt that uh, you never think that she's in actual danger. You never think that he's not going to sacrifice himself for her. But if you have a character, you have Chris Pratt play a character that's a little shadier and a little more unpredictable, then maybe you have it becomes more of a thriller. And I think that would be more exciting, you know, rather than a love story. It's to steal a line from Jordan. It's such a nothing movie and they had no intention of making anything borderline that serious. So, but it wouldn't be a nothing. I mean, it could not be a nothing movie. if It was like that. But with this particular movie in mind, especially, I think the reason I came away from it just so like, "Eh, okay, was because it didn't try to be anything. It wasn't. And it also didn't serve anything heavy handedly or, you know, I guess also the fact that I hadn't heard about it was a nice compliment to it just because it's like, it's not one of those movies that went out of its way to campaign itself and mm. like try to overachieve and do something that uh, I guess putting it analogously like uh, this is like the movie I thought Brothers was going to be. I guess to your point, this is what I thought the type of movie Brothers was going to be. And then it came out and it was exactly what you were explaining. of like <laughs> More fucked up. Yeah. Torture was like, holy shit. So like movies like that are welcome, but there's still a place for movies like this that are just let me just fucking get a soda and some popcorn and turn my brain off for two hours. Yeah, I think that it's all, the, the problem the only problem with this is that I you can't uh avoid thinking of that other version, the darker version of the movie, I think, especially on second watch. I mean, yeah, you That's had fair. you had the advantage of you just like taking it in. Mm-hmm. Uh watching it again, I it was to me it just felt like a series of missed opportunities because Chris Pratt is so likable and I didn't want to like him so much. Especially because I think he does a really good job at the beginning of the movie to just show his his mental decay. <laughs> so I totally buy that he was a decent guy. And then after a year of being by himself, he's like, fuck it. I'm doing this thing that is unforgivable. And then, you know, I think that he they bring him back from that too, too quickly, too easily. I am not being facetious at all when I say the absolute worst part of the movie is the end credits in that Imagine Dragons song. <laughs> I don't, you know, Imagine Dragons is whatever. People have started the thing that they're the new Nickelback, like the worst band. And I don't think that, I don't give a shit. But like, the movie had a really, really, really solid score. I was keeping like that mental notes on that. And then ends, yeah, kind of fluffy and kind of silly and cliche. But if you just fade it into like a nice, like, crescendo type score over the credits, but instead they fucking shoehorn in this Imagine Dragon song and then they show the, just to show off, I guess, the 3D set or something like that. It's like Soren at Disney. Like, you know, it's, that was ridiculous. That immediately took me out of it and just, boo. It's, it's funny how the last second of, like, your last, thought of it as wow maybe that wasn't as good as i thought it was maybe that wasn't as okay as i thought it was it's really it's it's a real uh it just it's, it gets your your head spinning because the the andy garcia cameo so much so, happens so yeah. fucking weird it's just what's going on when you see um, like uh, too many cooks crammed into like 30 <laughs> seconds it's like what right when you see andy garcia then you instantly expect the movie to be now 
at least 10 minutes longer because yeah. obviously they brought him in to do something. He just shows up with his fucking beard <laughs> and his hair and skew and, huh? <laughs> yeah. And so that. And, and then, then somehow they, there's vegetation and wildlife with no natural light. Yeah. I, I really, I think in the back of my head, I did think that they maybe had a family. And that you saw like kids stuff like when they come out. Like my recollection was that same here. They yeah. don't just come out to a jungle, but they come out to like swings and yeah. like kids' toys and whatever. There was like a treehouse or something, right? But I guess it looked like a mechanic shack because <laughs> I was looking. I was like, oh, maybe that's like their house that he built her, right? Um, but then I looked in and there's just like tools and <laughs> and a and a workbench. <laughs> yeah, it was a very strange finish to the movie. Uh, well, you have the Jennifer Lawrence voiceover to just... Well, and I, the, I, the Andy Garcia thing, he gets a full-on credit. <laughs> like, it's... He has no lines or any real part. He should have just been uncredited so that people would have waited through and be like, I think that was Andy Garcia, <laughs> but let me wait and see. Nope, wasn't him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... I think it's just a, my, a different mental state that I have versus uh, yourself, Julio, and to a certain extent yourself, Jordan, just as far as like modern movies go, that I'm just so welcome to see something that I'm not just bored or off-put by, which that's not – that's the majority of the things I see are that way because I watch trailers for a lot of stuff. I'm like, eh, I'm not going to like that. But going into something like this completely cold, I'm just like, hell yeah. I like Chris Pratt. I like Jennifer Lawrence. And, you despite know, it, it wasn't a Disney live-action adaptation. Yeah, fuck all that. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before she's in one of those, but, you know. And um, Wesley Snipes, what's his name? Michael Sheen? Michael mm-hmm. Sheen. Great. Great. <laughs> just, like, super droll, dry delivery. And, I mean, it's obviously a part that's written for, you know, a really dry British comic actor. But that's also, uh, uh, I'm, to me, it felt like it Michael Sheen. Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. To me, it felt like Michael Sheen was, it, it, I mean, like Andy Garcia, but on a slightly bigger scale. He's there, but he's, he's bigger than that part. I mean, he's, he, he's a character actor. He's not a superstar or anything, but it was, I was surprised. I remember the first time I watched the movie to see his character amounted to so little. It's, he's instrumental to the plot because mm-hmm. he basically yeah. blows Chris Pratt's cover, but you don't, you don't need Michael Sheen to play that part. You can have just random British guy to play that part. Yeah. So, uh, I think he actually has one of the most important roles in the film. Actually, he drives all the decisions in, in a way where he doesn't drive any decision because Chris Pratt will go to him and be like, oh, she's beautiful. I, I just, you know, I got to wake her up. I can't be alone anymore. And he'll be like, that sounds wonderful. And then he'll be like, yeah, but I'd be doing her life. Well, you can't do that. Um, and I think it's a really, wise way for the film to show that and then Aurora even goes to him for advice and he's not really giving any but to them they're like they're making their decisions based off of these nothing responses yeah yeah Yeah, well he's like a like a horoscope because he'll just give you a platitude yeah and then they apply it to their lives yeah and and just run with it that's so me uh Uh, Lawrence Fishburne I know we mentioned him for the brief parties I mean you want to talk about a polished actor he's just like what do I need to do Oh, I, I need, need to die. <laughs> I need to wheeze a lot. All right. Give me a minute. All right, I'm ready. Let's do this. He's like, I, I did that on Predators. I got it. <laughs> I need to project authority, not be creepy, just be a little judgmental. <laughs> just pull it back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I, the Lawrence Fishburne casting, I totally get, because that's, that's an actual part. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. And I think, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that there's probably, uh, from the production side, you get, uh, you drum up more interest. If you get Michael Sheen attached, even if it's to just the role of the bartender, you're like, hey, I have Michael Sheen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, that, that now it sounds like a movie. And now Chris Pratt will sign up. <laughs> and Andy Garcia was in the trailer. <laughs> he he was. I'm not lying. It's Jesus. it's in the trailer where they that scene where they walk in is in the trailer. Wow. No, no, no. I'm not. That is insane. That's maybe they maybe this is a movie that was financed after you know they shot a, a trailer for Might it. Might have been a late trailer. They, and then uh they're like, Andy, can you help us? <laughs> and then by the time it was time to shoot the movie, he was not available anymore. Give us three takes. Give us a big one. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one without the beard. <laughs> let's lose it. Nope, not going to happen. <laughs> okay, how about we do one where you just don't say anything? <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. Not violating the Mattis rule, but over 90 minutes, but still at no real point felt like it was egregiously overstaying its welcome. It kind of... Uh, just obviously, I it was flew by faster than the thirty-minute shorter film Crossroads that we watched last night. <laughs> yes, uh, but the, the just obviously, I was exaggerating in Contreras Corner, but I think it kind of helps to keep it moving. The fact that it keeps switching gears mm-hmm. uh, throughout the movie. I mean, those the six acts that I came up with while, while we were talking about the movie. I mean, they're there. You really have different tones and different dynamics every time that one of these things happens, and I think that that makes it. It feels it helps like keep it's you in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's almost like a shortcut, like of yeah, we're not doing stuff in this area, but we're doing this to keep your attention, type mm, thing. Yeah, it's no longer about them being being love. Now they're fighting the entire yeah. time, and oh, and now Lawrence Fishburne is part of it. Now they're nude in space. <laughs> Again, and here's Lawrence Fishburne. All right, you're ready. You're settled down. Andy Garcia, get on out here. <laughs> uh, st- star rating. What would you give it? I I think I gave it a three last time, and I think I'm gonna stick with the three, with the with the qualifier that I don't like the ending. Uh, I'm gonna pull it up just to make sure. But uh, what what is your score? C plus B minus somewhere in that area, depending on you know. I'll probably think simmer on it a bit more. Jordan, do you rate movies? Do you do letter grade, star rating, anything like that? Um, I'll give it a C plus. It's a C plus movie. It, yeah, it doesn't swing for the fences. Um, it's a movie that could be capable of at least making that attempt to to do something. It never takes the first step in that direction. But it also goes to show that there's not necessarily anything overtly wrong with just C plus yeah, movies. Absolutely. Um I think I was really mad when I left uh the movie <laughs> the first time because I gave it two and a half. Oh man. And my review is just why are you afraid of going dark, Hollywood? I feel like I should give it three stars, but fuck that ending. Where were you? Where were you? In, in... Yeah, you were the the quote we used earlier, the no guts. Yeah. <laughs> Five cent guts. Do we have a problem with the morality of Chris Pratt's character in this film? Because a lot of these negative reviews, that's their problem with the movie. Yeah, but that's not... I, I agree with Alex. It doesn't endorse it. And Yeah, it, yeah no. does it glorify it? Yeah. It's, it's actually... It's a through line that he did something wrong... He feels bad about it, but doesn't know how to make up for it. And Jennifer Lawrence has to just cope with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he for, that she forgives him. I mean, and then also, if you want to be really nitpicky, she never specifically says "I forgive you" or anything like that. I mean, she did. Yeah, it's, it's implied. But <laughs> it, there's not some scene where she like, doesn't need to by the time that she's naked with him in the pool. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not like. There's... By the way, I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> or Chris Pratt's like. <laughs> 
Do you forgive me? <laughs> no, well, it, you're inside me, Chris. <laughs> the, the real problematic thing would be like if she was like, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it doesn't glorify it. And I think that's that might straddle the line of what you're talking about, about uh, going darker more into like the darker side of it because that's a pretty fucked up decision to make right I, I think that yeah you wouldn't get those complaints if it was the darker movie yeah. or even if he just died and it was made very clear that he he has understood that he can't do anything to make up for what he's done mm-hmm. and so might as well just die saving her and I think you do that then you do away with the with the complaints which I think are kind of unwarranted I understand where people are coming from but I don't think that you're giving the Jennifer Lawrence character enough credit and it's like, well, she decides to forgive him. Yeah, he did. All, he did a horrible thing, and then he spent the rest of his life, you know, trying to make up for it. Yeah, uh, and I think too, if it was that darker movie you're referencing, those criticisms would be slightly more warranted, probably lessened, but more warranted in what it is right now. Kind of what me and Jordan have spoken to about a C plus nothing movie. It, that's when you start looking too far into shit. It's just like, dude, just take yeah. it for what it is. Right, the movie didn't mean to. Yeah, <laughs> trust me, this movie's not trying to say anything about well, the only thing gender with, the, equality. The only or... thing with this movie is the blueprint for this is something that could potentially be better than a popcorn mm-hmm. movie. Right, because you've read the the this original script, which is at some part the dialogue's a little shoddy. It's more of a comedy, but the darker part, the funnier parts are funny, and the dark parts are way darker. Does Chris Pratt survive? Um. At the end, no, he does not. And a third person wakes up that I think also dies. <laughs> I think it's just Jennifer Lawrence at the end, um, and it's like not—I don't—it's not a happy ending. Um, it's just Jennifer Lawrence floating aimlessly. <laughs> the ship is just like the I'm red lights sure. are going off. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure everyone dies but her at the end. Now, had this been like a March release, we would have had that ending. But the Christmas, thing, <laughs> no, we nope. gotta, get the, gotta get the happy ending in there. Let's put the other one we shot in. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like, that's where it becomes hard to defend Prometheus as much as I do, is that that is definitely a movie that was trying. and So hard. And, yeah, has a lot of shortcomings. And you know what? That movie, I'll be way more open to hearing people talk about the philosophical and moralistic (laughs) issues with it than the fucking movie that ends with Andy Garcia and a Santa. (laughs) And Imagine Dragons. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can see that. That's Prometheus. I will, yeah, I, I, but I enjoy Prometheus in spite of all its flaws. I enjoy it more because of that. You're the only person I know that, uh, maybe my sister too, that I've heard defend it harder than I do, and I, I defend it pretty hard. <laughs> so we're liking Prometheus more than Passengers. Yeah, uh, I do. I, I, I mean. It's all very subjective. There, uh, no uh, newsflash. It's all subjective. But, uh, to me, because there are it, two completely different <laughs> levels of judgment. Right. Yeah, I don't mean to pit the titans against each other here. <laughs> no, the, like, the ambition of Prometheus oh, it man. gives it more <laughs> gives it more uh, leeway for me. It's like, all right, you know, you strike out, but there's there's a lot good in I can it. Hear in... people turning the podcast off right now. <laughs> oh, I did. I'm surprised with uh, I've. I've Every time I see somebody online bring up Prometheus and just the hatred that comes out, I was like, okay, come on. Even if it was a bad movie, it does not warrant. It, it's like Crossroads. You, you don't need the hatred. I don't hate Prometheus. I think it's just very disappointing. It was marketed it was, wrong. 
I I think that I think that if anything, Covenant, which I also like, is oh, more disappointing. Covenant's than... a bad movie. I've heard nothing good about Covenant. Have you not seen it? No. Ooh. I think Covenant is better if you don't have the expectation. I think Prometheus promises a movie that's so much better than Covenant, and then you get Covenant. I'm just like, really? Because you said it, you you'd set things up for something awesome, and then Covenant just goes in a completely different direction. And eh. yeah, that was one of those. My sister's a gigantic Alien franchise connoisseur. She just she came home from Covenant and just went into her room. Yeah, she, she didn't want to talk about it. Um, Prometheus too. I mean, winding down here, uh, I think the similarity or like a what's the phrase I'm looking for here? Comparison you can make because you guys kept men- or you specifically Jordan were mentioning the trailer and how much it shows about this movie. I think Prometheus could be you could trace back to that being one of the last incredible trailers that the movie didn't live up to. Because then it like became about more showing more of what's going to be in there and setting like realistic expectations and not worrying about stylizing the trailer completely. Because mm-hmm. man, we had that fucking ten year stretch from like maybe like oh three to twenty thirteen. Watchmen, just like oh, well, yeah, that's at the top of the list. The second Dark Knight trailer, like all these that fucking oh. just bangers of trailers that were better than the movie. Ended I up being. I don't remember the Prometheus trailer. The like the noise that I remember the noise now but yeah <laughs> oh dude the trailer for that movie fucking ruled but it was extremely ambiguous and all it led you to believe that it had something to do with the alien franchise yeah. which it kind of did and then at the end it just kind of shoehorned in a xenomorph yeah yeah I did. a protomorph yeah <laughs> that's that's official man. after the official. creator or whatever my friend kept calling him Jason he's like that's what he was he just walked around and killed people and couldn't be hurt <laughs> we'll do Prometheus one of these days, but um, that's interesting. It, what you said, I think if I had seen the trailer for this, I probably would not have cared for it so much. You don't need to see the movie if you see the trailer and, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, because I, I think the bulk of the trailer is is the, the romantic comedy or romantic you know, movie. Part of passengers is the cures fried. I am in love. Accompany the trailer, basically, as they're like having dinner, and the robot goes with the with the little date, yeah, uh, invitation and all that stuff. I think that was most of it. And then sci-fi stuff happens, and then apparently Andy Garcia <laughs> walks past. It's just that shot of like a group of people walking in, and you're like, oh wow, other people are going to be in this, right? You're tricked into thinking that at yeah. some point there's going to be a crew. Uh, and yeah. something we did discuss and discover while watching this, the three of us probably would not go into space. <laughs> No, no. Well, not like that. I, I, if I had nothing to live for here, I'm like, sure, why not? What, what, what do I have to lose? But I'm, I mean, is Homestead was Homestead the? I know it's the Homestead Two's the planet, but was it also the company name that set all this up? I thought it was like the Homestead organization or something. Yeah, like that. I think so. Yeah, because it was the, the administration. Because <laughs> the only thing I was Space getting from Force. this, the vibe Space. was that they set all this up as just one huge scam. These people are paying just like who the numbers never disclosed, but right? But they pay so much money. What's keeping them from making a ship that's not going to make the trip? And then they get all this money, and then in ninety years or one hundred and twenty years, when everyone's dead anyway, they've already lived their lives and gotten all the money. It's Firefest. <laughs> I think this was a plot from Homestead Group. There was no, uh, There's no Homestead. Homestead. <laughs> that's the when sequel. The, Andy yeah. Garcia. <laughs> Four I got, months I go get by. This back. <laughs> it was supposed to explode. Chris Pratt saved him, and they actually get where they're supposed to go, and there's nothing. Well, I, uh... Captain Norris, can you turn this ship around? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. This ain't actually a real handle. 
<laughs> All right. Wrapping up, yet another bonus episode on here. Jordan, we typically open up the floor for plugs. Do you have anything personally or just uh, from an artistic standpoint that you'd like to plug? Uh, nothing Nothing I'm working on right now. Um, if you want to get in contact with me or help me pay my student loans, you can, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, just Jordan Mance. That's my handle for both of them. Have you have you watched any good movies recently? Yeah, I have. I don't want to date this too much because I don't know when you guys are gonna release the podcast. But um, Crawl was worth. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's if it's out on like Blu-ray by the time you're hearing this, it's not worth watching on Blu-ray. It's not worth buying the Blu-ray. But, but if it's, it's worth... still in theaters, it's it's not still in theaters. But you should see... if it's streaming, something you, like you that. know what? Watch Unsane. Unsane's it was filmed with an iPhone seven two years ago, and it's worth the watch. I don't know that I support. You I don't endorse that. that recommendation. Um. Sonnenberg. Yes, that's right. I'm ever seeing a trailer for that, and I still would like to see that. Oh, you don't know the cameo? No, I don't. Okay. Is it Andy Garcia? <laughs> <laughs> Andy Garcia plays every character. When you said, I don't mean to date this, I really thought you were going to plug Passengers. Go <laughs> <laughs> see Passengers, guys. I've seen it again. No, but seriously, watch Passengers. It holds up. It's just an okay movie. It is perfectly fine for what it is and what it tries to be. Mm-hmm. Works better if you're in love. I guess before we move on to our plugs, Alex, uh, just a quick uh, thing. Our logo by Hansworth Geyser. Opening and closing tracks by the Festive Years. Visit thefestiveyears.com. Yeah, Hansworth Geyser. He's at Mildemonios on Twitter. M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. There you go. And uh, also Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. He does logos. He does comics. He has a podcast in Spanish called Nación Combi. He has a podcast in English called Living in America. No, living in Peru. <laughs> Say, living in America. Uh, where he talks to immigrants to Peru. And that one's in English. That's in iVox. The other one is in iTunes and everywhere else. Um, now, do you have a plug, Alex? Man, I didn't have one last night. You think I've watched something since yesterday? I don't know. Maybe something exciting happened in your life. No. <laughs> it was a busy day at work today. Not well, all right, busy. guys. Um <laughs> uh, I I watched uh, one of my Criterions. I watched the Gold Rush, uh, Chaplin Isn't movie. Cha- yeah, yeah, Chaplin movie. I bought a while ago. I think that maybe when we did Modern Times, I said that that was next on my list, and that was what two years ago. <laughs> yeah, finally got to it. I was so first. I was I reached for Limelight, uh, and it's like 130 minutes. It's a Chaplin movie that's 130 minutes. Goddamn, pal. Then I went for uh, Monsieur Verdun, another Chaplin movie, 119, I think. And I'm like, where is my, my chaplain that's like barely over an hour? <laughs> so then finally, the gold rush is like 70 minutes, I think. Uh, it's cool. Like you might have seen like the classic, uh, chaplain clip from, um, from the gold rush is the one where he has the two dinner rolls and he stabs oh, four yeah, each yeah, of them yeah. and he like pretends their feet and yeah. is dancing. That one. And then the one where he's in a cabin and he opens the door and the wind just blows him out of the cabin. Yeah. Uh, so that stuff is, and then the one where, uh, his partner in the cabin, they're like starving and he hallucinates a chaplain as a chicken. Mm. And so for the time, the special effects are amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and they, they still, I mean, right now you are like, Oh, that doesn't look realistic, but it's still really funny when you see him like fade into becoming a chicken. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just really funny. It's not as funny as, uh, some of my other chaplains uh you know city lights or modern times but it's still really funny just everything that we said in the modern times episode 
so long ago still applies just a master of physical comedy yeah not so much this this one's not too heartfelt he mm-hmm. has a love interest and she's kind of mean to him so it's really weird that they end up having a, a happy ending uh even though she didn't really seem like that nice of a person but but it's still it's just it's just a pleasure to watch so the gold rush is my plug yeah chaplin's batting average is pretty ridiculous yeah yeah uh and so i don't forget I did when I was at work today and some of my downtime was doing research for potential future episodes. Inspector Gadget. Let's remember to do that. Are we doing the, the Broderick one? The or Broderick the, one. Okay. Not the, the sequel with uh, <laughs> French Stewart. French Stewart. <laughs> no, the Broderick one. It's 78 minutes long. Ooh. I, you know, I saw that in theaters. I did too. I think I did too. I was like fucking the 11 three or 12. The three of us conned. It was within the first few memories I have of life. <laughs> <laughs> the, the few sad... It's, it's the bad in Godzilla 98. Oh, unfortunately. Wow, you were on a, on a Broderick tear. Not a lot. Of, I mean, you know, when I was getting up and going to theaters, it wasn't hot was, times. You were not here to understand that Godzilla 98 was a cultural happening in America. <laughs> hey, there were billboards in Peru, so I, I do know... Was the release of the soundtrack as big of a deal in Peru? Probably not. Okay, that was a big deal here. You had fucking Diddy and Jimmy Page. Like, Diddy's, like, backing down Godzilla in the music video. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> Come with me? Oh, God, it's fantastic. And then you had uh, the Wallflowers do their cover of Heroes. And it was, okay, it was, I remember that one. Yeah. That was on MTV all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know, but there was, you know, there was the, the whole thing. This is... Or Godzilla's foot is the size of 78 stadiums and you know that was like a billboard mm, yeah it was, size does matter it was the first movie I remember being let down and disappointed with <laughs> absolutely I just remember being very like uh, I have vague memories of it we saw it at the dollar theater because we waited because like the rush was too big in our city like our local theater but I just remember being very confused and just displaced. Confused, yeah. confused. Yeah, it's like because to me it was from the guys that did Independence Day, Independence Day, which I loved. Roland Emmerich, come on now. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, but the movie or the, the the advertising was from the people that brought you Independence yeah, yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah. So I was pumped for that, and everybody seemed to be really excited about it. And at the time, I would just correlate that with, oh, it must be really good. So when we finally mm. watched it, and I was not crazy about it, I felt like, oh, I must have done something wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then, then also, eventually I realized, no, everybody kind of hates it. I remember my thing of confusion when I was little was that it was raining the whole movie. And now I know that was oh. because, like, the visual effects weren't strong enough to, like, CG them through the entire thing. So they had to make it rain to make, like, it blurry. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that, I was like, what? And so, like, <laughs> until I was probably, like, 17, I just thought it always rained in New York City. Like, <laughs> Couldn't they wait till it was sunny to shoot the movie? <laughs> They only had the dinosaur on lease for a certain <laughs> amount of time. All right, Jordan, thank you very much for being on. We thank appreciate you it. all. Thank you. It, it won't be the last time. No. It, you might have to Skype your next appearance in. But... No, that's that's definitely a plane ride worthy. Okay, good, <laughs> good. We'll revisit passengers one year from now. <laughs> uh, but in the interim, uh, we'll catch you all next time. I'm not, again, not sure where chronologically this is going to be, but as always, We appreciate y'all listening to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you down the line.
All right. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarian Summer Road Trip Rages On. Last night, I don't know chronologically how this will fall, but last night we visited Britney Spears' 2002 coming-of-age thriller, Crossroads. This, Yeah, we don't know where this is going to go. Exactly. Like in the the reason I make reference to Crossroads because in winding up the episode last night or winding down, I should say, you had said that you saw a passenger, ah, beat to it, <laughs> saw a hitchhiker in the distance. Yes, but I was referring to our guest for the next chronological episode. Oh well, we'll cut all this out. <laughs> yeah, actually, we don't know where this one goes. Okay. Uh, I think, I mean, you should reference that we mentioned, because we did mention that we were going to do passengers, mm-hmm. uh, but you just can just say, we don't know where this is, when this is happening. Okay, then it doesn't even come up. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarian Summer Road Trip as we continue on here. Wait, is it going to be part of the road trip? Mm-hmm. Okay. 